Um, so I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Would you follow along with me? Let's read from verse, chapter, um, verse 1 of chapter 5. Solomon says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it, because He does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and do not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God. I'm going to be making some references to the ESV translation as well this morning because having read through a few different translations, I think the way the ESV puts it is also uh, super helpful for us to understand what Solomon is really getting at here. But let's, let's look at that as our first question. What, what is Solomon addressing here? And well, he's, as I said, he's talking about how we, how we approach God, how we come together collectively uh, at, at his house, as it were, in worship, or you can call it church now, translate that. Um, and I want to I deal with that, but also wanna, I want to expand it a bit on how we, how we approach God, how we come to him in relationship when we spend time with him and broaden it up a little bit whilst we're still looking at what Solomon wants us to see. But he starts with this um, straight, sober uh, sentence, guard your steps when you go to the house of of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. What, is, what does it mean to guard your steps? Uh, what does it mean to guard your steps? I mean, should we, should we be nervous when we approach God? You know, should, we, should we be a bit anxious? Um, and, and, and this is a genuine thing for many people. Some people uh, feel, some of you may be listening to this, you, you, you have this underlying assumption that God is, God is always just mildly annoyed or angry with you. The way we've been living hasn't really measured up to God's standard. Um, we've neglected Him, you know, haven't read your Bible, haven't done all the religious things that we feel like we should be doing. And so we, we know that we're, we're coming almost to make right every time we come to Him, whether it's a church or come to Him in prayer or to read our Bibles or gather with His people, whatever. There's always a little bit of where we sort of need to rekindle the relationship or get everything right again. And um, maybe it's Maybe it's wise. Maybe what Solomon's saying is it's good. Guard your steps. Approach with caution. Um, and I think that we'll deal with, we'll deal with some of that. Um, but Solomon isn't providing for us a full treatment here of, of how we should approach God. He's dealing uh, with some specific things and some errors and mistakes and, uh, and cautions and warnings to us. And we're going we're gonna to deal um, with those as well. Um, but the Bible says a lot about how we approach God in other areas of Scripture that I think we need to take on board when we think, how, how do we come to God? And as you, as you work through the Scriptures, you see uh, various ideas and various uh, encouragements and commandments and commendations on how we should 
how we should approach the Lord. Um, you'll read in Hebrews that we should approach the throne of grace with confidence and with, you know, with boldness to find mercy for us and grace in times of need. And so there's an encouragement to come you know, boldly and confidently to God. Uh, Jesus would encourage us to come as children before a father. Um, I mean, there, there's just freedom and warmth and invitation there. Isaiah encourages us to come and, and drink and eat and, and enjoy the presence of God. And, and there's a richness to his presence that we're, we're, there's an ongoing invitation extended to us to, to enjoy and to, and to take up that invitation. Uh, other parts of scripture encourage us to come, come silently to wait on the Lord, um, to, to just have our strength renewed in, in, in silence. Other times we're encouraged to come and, and make a big noise, to be joyful and, and, and exuberant in our worship and to just extol God's name, to shout His character and His praise. Uh, other parts of Scripture talk about how we should come um, reverently, uh, fearfully almost, um, We'll talk a bit later about the fearful reverence um, combination and what that, what that means more fully. We're encouraged by, by James to, when we come to God, especially in prayer and in asking not to doubt, we come faithful and expectant that God is going to hear us and, and meet with us and do something. And, and all these different things, and we could keep going. There's so many different ways in which we're encouraged to relate to God and and I love that about the scriptures, that we're in a relationship with God. We don't have one sort of you know, prescriptive list of this is, this is what to do. Here's a checklist of when you come to church or when you come to God, make sure it's this and then this and then this and then this. And so long as you jump through those hoops or tick off those boxes, you're doing everything right. I think it's, and I love this about the scriptures and, and, and about following Jesus, that it's, it's grounded in real life because life is different. And sometimes you need to approach in this way. And sometimes you need to come to God with this. And sometimes this is going on. And sometimes our souls are in this state. And in other times they're in this state. And there's this breadth of uh, this almost expansive freedom to enjoy all these multifaceted ways of coming to God and relating to Him. And uh, I think... And the scriptures make that clear. And so even while it says, guard your steps, I think we need to dive in and, and explore that a bit and say, what, what was Solomon warning against? But the scriptures open it up a bit more broadly, the, the full um, array of the scriptures to say there's all these different ways of relating to God. And it's wonderful and we should, we should use all of them uh, for the different seasons. I think what, what Solomon is warning against here is a, is a flippancy. A flippancy um, of coming to God and it's a warning it's a warning it's a word of wisdom to us that you just watch your steps because there were people coming that they were just going through motions we'll look at it a bit now um, they were just doing things and they weren't listening to God they were offering what we'll talk about the sacrifice of fools but there's a there's a level of hypocrisy there's a le level of ignorance coming they're not thinking about what they're doing necessarily or they trivializing meeting with God we should, be, we should be sure that we never trivialize coming to God, worshiping Him. We're coming before the living God of heaven. And we need to make sure that as we do that, we're guarding our steps, coming into His presence, coming together with His people. It's a, it's a serious and life-giving thing, but we need to have our eyes wide open. Who is this that we are in relationship uh, with? For one of the first things that Solomon talks about here and commends us as we guard our steps, as we come to God, how should we meet with Him? Well, the first thing that's abundantly clear when you read this passage is He just says, you should listen. You should 
listen. Here he says it better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. The ESV translates this verse and says this, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. There's a couple of things here. So firstly, what is this sacrifice of fools? What is this sacrifice of fools that he is warning against and saying, well, don't, don't do that. And like in many parts of the scriptures, there's a couple of interpretations here. Um, one of them is, is, could be referencing those who offer sacrifices to other gods. They ignorantly do wrong and they do evil. They don't know um, what they're doing. They think they're worshipping, but they're actually doing something that's evil and wrong. And in their ignorance, they're acting like that. And they are offering the sacrifice of fools. They have no other way. They're fools because they don't follow God. That's one uh, potential interpretation of this. Another is, is uh, more speaking to those who are believers, those who come up to, as it were, the temple of God that Solomon's talking about, and they, they go through the motions. They're there, um, and they're offering their sacrifices, whatever that looks like, but they're not really serious about what they're doing. There's no heart engagement. They, they hear, particularly, they have no desire to listen or to obey. That's why the ESV uses that better to approach in obedience and the ESV uses listen. Listening and obedience are very closely connected uh, in the scriptures. And I think Solomon is taking issue here with hypocrisy, coming uh, to God, uh, coming to church and going through the motions, pretending like there's worship happening. But deep in our hearts, there's no real desire to listen and even less to actually obey. And the Bible has strong warnings against that. If you look in James chapter 1, from verse 22, James says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Is it deceiving yourselves? That's strong. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. There's a strong term there. He says, you deceive yourselves if you are just a hearer and not a doer. If you're just listening and you don't do anything about it, the word that's preached and the implications of how you should respond to the preached word of God or to the revealed word of God, and you open up your, your Bible and God is speaking as we're there, and there's something clear about how we should worship Him or something we should do in the light of what we read in there, but we, you know, we don't act on it. We're, we're deceiving ourselves. And there's a strong warning there. So be very careful that we don't just come to listen and not obey. Or you come and listen, but you're not actually listening. There's no genuine hearing going on there. We may be present, um, but we're not taking anything in. And uh, I know I'm like you. My mind wanders. Maybe my, my mind wanders probably more than most of yours. Uh, but I struggle sometimes to focus. Maybe struggling to focus to me now. Hey, wake up. Pay attention. Look at me. Stop vacuuming. Pay attention. You're listening to the Word of God. Yeah, it's no, I know it's my voice. But that's what we do when we come together. We listen to the voice of the Lord through the Word of the Lord. And there's something of God revealed in that that we always need to respond to and act on and obey. And Solomon's warning is be careful that when you come into God's presence, your primary posture is listening. Your, our primary posture should be listening, not talking. Why is listening so important and how, how do we listen? 
Let's have a look at those questions. Well, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says this. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is not just an initial sense. Yes, people come to faith in an initial sense through hearing the word of God. They cut to the heart. They respond in repentance and faith and place their trust in Jesus. But how does ongoing faith come for those who are believers in Jesus? Those of us who are walking day by day with him. How does ongoing faith get built in us? Well, by the word of God, it's the same thing. It starts our journey of faith and it keeps our journey of faith going. The centrality of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. Jesus is having a long um, discussion uh, with uh, disciples and a crowd in John chapter 6. We hear um, the, the account is there and many people desert Jesus because the teachings are sort of getting tougher and tougher and people are like, well, Jesus is dialing things up here. I don't think we can follow uh, anymore. And Jesus turns uh, to Simon Peter and uh, we'll just pick it up from verse 68. And it says, um, Simon Peter answers the Lord and, and he says, Lord, because Jesus is ask, asking them, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter answers him in verse 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? We hear what you're teaching and, and it sounds tough. And following you, man, it sounds confusing. It sounds tough. You're demanding a lot. We don't understand everything. But, but where, we get, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. When you speak, you speak like nobody else speaks. And they make sense. And they bring life to us. And we should say that together with, um, with Peter. Yeah, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Some of them are hard to hear. But when we see and we hear and we're listening to the, the scriptures and, the, and what you say out of your word, that's where eternal life is found. And listening is a far better posture than speaking. Uh, I was trying to explain um, some of this to the kids the other day as we were going through devotions and I knew the sermon was coming up and I was trying to use an illustration. I'll use it with you because uh, they found it hilarious um, as you know, my kids think I'm funny, which is, <coughs> which is surprising uh, for now. Maybe we've got a couple of years left of that. I was saying, imagine you, you appear before uh, like the leading expert in the world in, in a particular area. Maybe it's like art. Um, I know nothing about art, so this is one that I really resonate with. I can't even draw like stick figures. And you know, imagine I had an appointment with, um, with somebody who is the, le the world's leading expert in some like little niche area of the art world and sat down with them and you know, I wanted to impress them. So I just started waffling on about everything I know about, about their particular area of expertise. You know, a couple of people were listening in and, and they didn't necessarily know, the, or I didn't know who the person was kind of thing, you know, like just have a chance meeting kind of thing. And I'm waffling off and I'm, 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 I'm trying to impress everyone with how much I know and all oh, this, all oh, that, you know, like colors and shapes. You know, I'm talking as if I'm in grade one talking to somebody who's got multiple doctorates. You know, so I'm talking colors and shapes and they're like, I don't think this person understands what they're talking about. It would be cringeworthy to watch an engagement like that happening. It'd be like, oh, oh Doug, just, just zip it, man. Just keep quiet. Like you are embarrassing yourself here. You are showing that you know nothing. It's better. It would be much better for you just to listen. Maybe ask a couple of questions and then, and then listen and let the expert inform you on the thing rather than just sprouting off everything you know and trying to sound impressive. And there's a sense in which when we come to God, that's exactly what's going on. 
God is the leading expert in everything. And to come into God's presence and just be like, blah, 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 blah. Hey, God, hey, this, 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 this. Instead of taking the posture of listening is utter foolishness. And friends, God has spoken in his word and he continues to speak. And uh, the wise, the wise will take the posture of listening. And so how do we listen? How do we listen? Well, we listen primarily through the scriptures. God has spoken um, primarily through his word. I, he does speak uh, through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through people. He, he speaks through nature. Uh, there's immediate pr prophetic words, but God never speaks against his revealed word in the scriptures. And in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, we see this. In Hebrews 1, it starts off by this uh, in verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors uh, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. This is how God used to speak, but now he's spoken through his son. If you want to hear what God has to say and who God is, we listen to the voice of Jesus. We look at the life of Jesus, how he lived and what he said, what he taught. And that is recorded primarily for us in the scriptures. So it's the revelation of God. This is what God wants us to know of who he is. We look at Jesus and we see the Father. Jesus says, I only speak what the Father tells me. I only do what the Father tells me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at his life. If you want to hear God speak, look at the Son. Jesus, the Son of God himself, is speaking um, to us. And there is so much in the scriptures for us to hear and to listen to. Uh, another illustration I was using with the kids was, because uh, they're learning, ooh, I mean, I feel like I'm having a re-education doing all of this homeschooling. I mean, I didn't pay much attention in, uh, in school, and so I'm not much help to them. But it's very interesting um, to now learning at age 43 what stuff I should have learned. But uh, one of the kids is doing something on the gold rush and the, the, the launching of Johannesburg and stuff. And, and so we're talking about finding gold or whatever else. And I was saying, imagine like you're, you're doing this, um, um, I don't even know what the fancy word for it is, but when they would stand in the river and like, sift the stuff and looking for gold that had like washed down or in the soil then you found a little nugget of gold like yo by chance there's a nugget of gold it's like it's like finding that in the river uh, and finding your little nugget and being like super stoked that you've got this nugget and then running off uh, with your nugget and like leaving your pan and being like yeah i've got my nugget like oh awesome i'm gonna go and cash this in and like whatever without realizing that underneath your feet stands the gold reef of the Witwatersrand that will take generations of hard work to mine and to uncover and to explore and to get out of there. You know, we're clutching onto our little gold nugget thinking, yeah, I've got the gold, man. And under our feet is the entire gold reef of the Witwatersrand. And that's a bit what it's like in the scriptures. You know, is the more you dig and dig and dig, the more we discover, the more we listen, the more we hear, the more we hear, the more we hear, the more we are shaped. And a posture for us, friends, to adopt, Solomon says, is as you come to God, just come and listen. Come and listen. Be slow to speak and quick um, to listen. Because when we soak our hearts and our lives in the scriptures, we hear God speak, we learn his character, we see his ways. He is revealed there right in front of our eyes. And our hearts and our minds are shaped and renewed by the truth of his word. 
That brings all the change. And I would commend to you, if you hear nothing else this morning, just get alone with God, get alone with His Word, and listen, listen, listen. And mine, 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 dig, dig, dig. There is so much gold. There's multiple lifetimes worth of gold for your soul in this book. The second thing that Solomon says is that we should weigh our words. From verse 2, he says, Do not be hasty to speak. And don't be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. What is Solomon saying? Yeah, just hold your horses with the long speeches before God. Let your words be few. Let your words be few. Why? Because God is in heaven and you're on earth. There's a difference. God knows everything. When you speak to him, you're never informing him. He already has knowledge. Um, so, you know, you have to dissect our prayer lives a bit. How much of what I'm saying to God is informing him? Uh, we hear the prior warning from Solomon to listen. Okay, I just want to listen better to God. But sometimes we're just wordy in God's presence because we're trying to avoid things. We're trying to hide uh, maybe the real thing behind a multitude of words. Maybe we're trying to impress God. Uh, we're just like, oh God, I prayed for like 15 minutes, yada, 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 yada. But it's, it was just like lots of words. And Jesus has stuff to say about, look, when you come to your Father, don't come and babble on like the pagans thinking that they'll be heard because of their many words. You know, he's saying the same thing again. Just let your words be few. Honesty, simplicity, sincerity. God treasures those things far more than elaborate long speeches and stuff. And we need to be careful that we don't hide behind our words or just add um, to the noise. But I, I find, again, as you read the rest of the scriptures, there are different things that are taught that almost feel like sometimes like they're opposing ends. You, you read in the scriptures uh, encouragements. I'll read, let me, let me just read a couple of uh, verses. Lamentations 2 verse 19. It says, Arise, cry out in the night from the first watch of the night. Pour out your heart like water before the Lord's presence. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. And those are just two. There are many, many scriptures that talk about us pouring out our hearts to God, bringing words with us when we come to our King. And, and this wonderful in, uh, invitation, I love that verse from Lamentations, pour out your heart like water before the Lord's presence. And friends, I want to encourage you uh, in this season. And this is tough. What we're going through is tough. It's, it's tougher for some than others, but it's tough for everyone. And there's no sense in just, you know, having a stiff, up, a stiff upper lip, girding ourselves and toughing it through. You know, I want to encourage you that it's really good for your soul to be honest before God and to pour out your heart like water and to lament what's going on, what we see around us, the multiple deaths, the multiple infections, business after business closing, the rapture of a, a way of life that we knew. These are things that are worth being grieved. And so let's, let's grieve. Let's lament. Feel the freedom. Let's pour out our hearts to God. It's not going to be like, I already know. I don't really care how you feel. That's not what you see in the scriptures. You see an invitation to pour out our hearts before God. But you also see invitations to be still and know that I am God. You see another Passage in Lamentations talks about um, that it's good for us to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
And, and you see these contradictory, they seem contradictory things in scriptures. So sometimes you must come pour out your hearts. Other times you should come and be quiet. Uh, Solomon says, let your words be few. So what is it? What should we do? Uh, lots of words, no words, uh, minimal words. And, and I think the answer is like, yes. Uh, depending on the circumstance, the situation, whatever we're going through, it's like this in normal relationships. Sometimes Claire and I have a lot to say to each other. Other times you're happy just to be silent with one another. And our relationship with God is far more complex than any other human relationship. And so, yes, depending on what you're going through, sometimes it's good to sit and to listen and to be quiet in the presence of the Lord. And your soul needs that. Other times it's good to come and pour out your heart before the Lord. And I want to encourage you, maybe particularly with what we're going, th going through now, to, to, to maybe to do uh, more of that. But it's always honest. It's always sincere. It's never manipulative. And my words are never trying to get God around to doing my, uh, my will, my beckoning kind of thing. I, mean, I just need to wear God down with these words. You know, if I ask enough times, you see that in the scriptures, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. And Jesus is saying, you know, the persistent widow, she gets because she's pounding on the door, you know, asking God, I'm not going to, you know, um, people are blessed because they wrestle with God and say, you know, unless you bless me, I'm not letting you go. There's something about persistent prayer that does prevail. There's lots of P's there, but there's something about that uh, wired into the economy of God. But there's also times where you just need to be quiet and just sit and trust that God knows God's working things for your good and you can just rest for your soul just in quiet confidence before the Lord. And we should have the freedom and the encouragement to explore all of those, depending on what situation we're going through. David Gibson summarizes it like this. He says, simplicity safeguards sincerity. Simplicity safeguards sincerity. Come simply before the Lord in honesty of heart, not trying to manipulate him. And that will safeguard our sincerity. we we'll just be like, okay, God's like, yeah. You may not have a lot of words today, but they're sincere. Or you may have a lot of words, but they're still sincere. But normally, simplicity will safeguard your sincerity. Let's use less words with God than more words. That's what Solomon is saying. As a general rule, we could get away with less words because we often hide behind the words and just add to the noise. And we're just waffling on. Um, the, the last thing that Solomon says is don't make empty promises. Don't make empty promises. You can read it from verse 4. We read it earlier. I won't read it again. This is if you're going to vow something to God, make sure you do it. God doesn't delight in fools. He's not impressed in fancy promises. Uh, there's so many people who vowed outlandish things to God in times of crisis. And maybe you've done that in this time of crisis. Say, God, if you save my job, if you save my health, if you rescue this, whatever else, I promise I'll serve you. I promise I'll start tithing. I promise everything. Solomon says, just you be careful what you promise to God. You can make whatever promise you want, but just make sure that you do it. Uh, God does not suffer fools. He's not impressed at all with people who say they're going to do one thing, either to impress God or to impress people you know, in, the, in their hearing and say, well, I'm going to do this. And people are like, wow, you sound pretty uh, epic. Or I'm impressed by your outlandish display of obedience or you know, commitment to God or whatever. It's not obedience, it's commitment. And then they don't do anything about it. Be very we need to be very careful that what we say we're going to do, we actually do. Uh, this is a wise principle for parents. And if you tell your kids you're going to do something and you don't do it, they're like, I don't know if you really meant that or whatever else. Uh, so consistency is key in parenting. 
but it's essential in our relationship with God. He says, don't vow something if you're not going to do it. Make sure you follow through with that. Someone once told me that if you have lost your way with God, if you're feeling a bit distant from Him, you're battling to feel the sense of the presence of the Lord, go back to the last time you promised that you would do something that you haven't done and go back there and start there and repent and fix that, do what you said you would do and then start again from there. And I think there's some wisdom in that advice. What is Solomon's summary of all of this? He says right at the end of this passage, therefore, fear God. Fear God. Friends, to fear God is to live in awe of His majesty and to live in reverential awe of who He is, what He is able to do, what He has done, what He will do, what He has done for us in reconciling us to Himself. His greatness, His power, everything that's in His character and His nature, just the being of God being around him just like i'm not like you this is reverential awe and there's an element of i suppose fear you know god is so much more powerful than us he could just speak and doug Fell would cease to exist and it'd just be a pile of atoms or whatever else kind of thing he has that power within his voice within his hands we're not talking to our best buddy and yet at the same time like i said earlier we earlier we come as children to a father we don't come afraid of him because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, we come in this father-child relationship and God loves to embrace us and he's filled us with his spirit and he relates to us on that and there's safety and there's security and there's joy there, my friends. But we need to remember as we walk as children holding the hands of our fathers, we're, we recognize when we're not just holding the hands of our father, we're holding the hands of the creator of the universe and there's so much more to God than just being a father. And we need to be aware of that as we come to him, both for our encouragement and as a warning that we never treat that as a flippant thing. We never rush into God's presence and it's overly casual and whatever else. We don't, we don't just weary him with endless and empty words. And that we're cautious to listen and to obey uh, whatever he shows us and whatever he says to us. So uh, I'm sharing that for our encouragement from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I just want to say as we close this, if you've got this wrong, if you find yourself you're just not listening, not obeying, you've spoken too much, you've lost your way a little bit, it's very easy just to sit and stop with God, to ask for forgiveness. So Father, I've blown it. I haven't listened, haven't obeyed. Spoken too much, lots of empty words. I've vowed and I haven't done anything. I've treated coming into your presence in this relationship with you flippantly. Would you please forgive me? Would you please cleanse me? Would you refresh me, renew me by the Holy Spirit and give me a deep longing uh, to love you more, to obey, to hear you, to be led by, by you and, and just see what God does in that. Uh, it's always a good thing for us to keep accounts with God short. And so I would encourage you, if you have lost your way in this or if church or coming to God has become overly familiar, too much of a rut that you're just going through the motions, there's no life there, that you take drastic action even today, and make it right in the, in the presence of God with joy-filled repentance. Uh, let me pray for us uh, before we go into some music. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift of the scriptures. I thank you for the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. And you know, even as we come to you now, I don't, I don't want to use too many words because you've said that we should not. Uh, we should keep it simple. Because you know our hearts, 
you know, a word before it's even on our tongues. And we just want to come in simple reverence before you and worship you and say, we love you. You are God in heaven. We're on earth. And yet you have made us a treasured possession and you have filled us with your spirit. These are too glorious for us to comprehend fully. And we want to just say this morning that we love you. Help us to hear your voice. Speak and help us to hear you. Help us to listen and give us grace and strength to obey you. What we say we will do, give us courage, strength and commitment to do those things so that we may experience full joy in your presence and you may be glorified in our lives. And we ask this for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name.